Well, hello everyone. Uh, my name is uh, Billy Humphrey, and um, uh, I feel like I'm. Uh, I know several people from uh, Lockland Church of God. Of course, um, your pastors are um, just people who I've admired and respected for so many years, as uh, um, a little bit younger than they are um, and looked up to them. But um, we've hosted several groups from Lachlan. Matter of fact, most recently, I think they shared about the diapers. Uh, they, they drove all the way from here, all the way down to Baltimore and they had the pickup truck um, bed full of diapers and uh, the whole backseat of the truck was full of diapers. I think they may even had a, a box on their lap or two. It was pretty intense. Thank you very much. Um, those diapers are just one small part of uh, many folks who come alongside of what we're doing at City of Refuge Baltimore to help us to bring hope to life. Um, I love that song. Matter of fact, all the songs that were sung today, they just kind of hit home with kind of what I felt like the Lord was, was speaking in my heart today. But it said, out of the ashes, hope will arise. I don't know if you heard that part there. I always say, I, we always say we bring hope to life. That's what we do. We meet people at their point of need. And then our goal is to walk with them on this journey to self-sufficiency out of poverty and crisis. And so we exist to bring light, hope, and transformation to individuals and families. And just super excited to be here with you today. As you can tell, I'm a little nervous because anytime I go to a place the first time, I'm like, ah, but give me a few minutes, I'll get comfortable and we'll have a good time. And I realize that I'm up against it clockwise because she said you're having Sundays after this. So I realize if I go too long, that means I'm keeping you from your Sundays. And if I do it just about right, the Sunday is like the sweet, you know, thing at the end. It's like a happy ending. You know what I mean? So, so I'm going to do my best to time this thing right. Cause I kept trying to say, how much time do I have? Like, what is, what is the time limit? And they didn't really give me anything. And just so you know, I'm capable of preaching for three hours, but I won't today. How about that? I won't today. So, um, um, so, um, I'm here with a wife. Um, uh, uh, who, who is much younger than I am. And, um, and we've been married uh, uh, for 23 years, then dating for 25 years, um, not before that altogether. <laughs> um, <laughs> I turned 50 in like a couple weeks. That would be, you know, I was in third three. I was three. No, uh, but um, I, I'm, my style is that I'm, I'm probably gonna talk a little bit and every once in a while, my children tell me that I have 80 HDs. Um, so I'm, I'm like, they're telling me I'm a big kid. And so like, if I go over here, you know, and I seem like I got like a little squirrel in me or something like that, it's just because like, I'm like, pew, 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 pew. And y'all just hang tight with me. Okay. I'll come back to the point. Is that, is that fair? Can you, I know you're learning me. I'm learning you. So, so here we go. So I just thought I'd start off by just maybe sharing a little bit about City of Refuge and um, I'll just kind of say next. Is that okay? Is that a good way to go? We'll go next and um, work through these just little introduction to City of Refuge if you don't know much about us. Um, next. <sighs> but uh, we're a, a 501c3 organization. City of Refuge exists to bring light, hope, and transformation to individuals and families and communities. We started off as a local church of God kind of addressing food insecurity. And several years ago, we decided it was time to not just be a handout, but a hand up. So we'll go next, next. We'll move through these pretty quickly. Um, we are modeling after a city of refuge in Atlanta that's been doing this for 27 years. We started City of Refuge in March of 2018. Next, 
Um, so 2003, I became a pastor of a church called Brooklyn Church of God. We later changed the name to Pathway Church of God. Notice Lock Lynn Church of God, Pathway Church of God. We're like part of the same tribe. Um, I might free from Baltimore in the hood and you might be from the mountains, um, but we're part of the same tribe, amen? Um, so in 2018, we began this journey to um, kind of peel off our outreach ministry as this kind of uh, um, separate thing. Um, and, and that began the journey of what is City Refuge Baltimore. And uh, crazy enough, we started off in a small space of about 6,000 square foot. And in December of 2020, in the middle of a pandemic, it made a lot of sense to buy a, a almost 50,000 square foot building in December. Uh, matter of fact, we closed on December 30th and we opened up in that building in February of 2021. And, um, and, and then next slide, next slide. And, um, and, and so it, was, it just started by finding a need and meeting it. It started by um, not just wanting to be a handout and give somebody who's hungry something to eat, but be a hand up, right? It's one thing to give someone something to eat. It's another thing to walk, you know, teach them the skills um, to get their own food. And, and um, I grew up in poverty. Um, matter of fact, I grew up in the very community I pastor. The church I pastor is actually my home church. Pastor Ivan, this one's your home church, I think, if I understand that history correctly. And uh, it's not often somebody ends up pastoring their home church, but my grandmothers took my parents to this church. Um, my dad went to Vietnam. Um, he came back with um, you know, a lot of trauma and ended up turning to alcoholism. He became, when he was drinking, he became very verbally and physically abusive. And my parents got married. My mom had already had um, a little girl outside at the age of 16. Um, who was my sister. And, um, and, and then um, my parents somewhere along the way started um, turning to, to other types of drugs. And it started off being things like Valiums and, um, and um, antidepressants and then opioids. And before long, they were actually um, running after heroin on the streets of Baltimore in Brooklyn. And um, my dad died while uh, my, my parents got busted while I was... Um, Busted, they got locked up. Sorry, I might have to interpret um, some of my language. So busted, that's locked up. Is that how y'all say it up here? How do y'all say it? Busted works? Oh, okay, good, we're good, we're good. So they got busted, they got locked up for, um, for um, dealing drugs. My, my, mom would, would occasionally, um, my mom would occasionally sell herself to um, get money to support their habit. And my, and my, my dad, um, um, you know, they just became very addicted and they got arrested. They were stealing something from a little local department store called Ames. And they had a history of these small petty crimes. And the judge just kind of got fed up with them and said, go to, go to methadone or go to jail for six months. And they don't really court order that. If you don't know what methadone is, it's like a public health way of trying to get, it's like, a, it's supposed to block opioids and, um, it's, it's a long story, but they got on this opioid and they started going back to church for this six months. And it's during that six months that they started like going back to church. It was like this weird thing to me. Like before I was like a CEO, I went to church on Christmas, Easter, and one other Sunday. You know, CEO Christian, do y'all have any of those, right? Easter Sunday, they're not here on, no CEOs are here on a Wednesday night, right? That's not how that rolls. But Easter, right? There's like an extra hundred or a couple hundred people that show up, right? Um, you know, Christmas, they show up, right? And then one other Sunday, like East, you know, Mother's Day, right? You know, you get, you know, we call them CEOs where I'm from. You know, I was, that's all we were, you know? But during that six months, my parents went back to church and that's when I found Jesus. 
And um, thank you, thank you. Unfortunately, my parents after that six months court order went back to heroin and, um, and, uh, and, and, but I felt a call to ministry and ended up going to college while I was in college at the age of 21, my dad died. Um, due to complications from his addiction, his opioid addictions. And um, he didn't OD, but he kind of killed himself with that, you know, he beat his body up so much. And, uh, and then my mom died in 2014. When we first got married, matter of fact, we moved my mom in for a while and it, it, was, uh, it was really smart for honeymooners to move a chemically addicted mother into the home with you. It's, uh, it made for some great, wonderful evenings. Um, and middle of the night, door, knocks on the door. Can I get my medicine? I'm like, go to bed. It's not due until 8 a.m. and it's three. I'm trying to sleep. You know, some crazy, crazy stuff. But um, uh, um, I think that's part of what, where my why. I, when, when God called me, He gave me this dream that He was going to put me. I was going to pastor in the community I'm in today, and I was going to be in this big warehouse, and I was going to be pastor in this community, but not in the traditional form. It was like different than what I expected. And, um, and, um, and it was in a big warehouse and, um, and I, I didn't understand it, but that was when I was 17 and 18 years old and I just pursued it. And I said, God, I, I believe God's called me to be an urban missionary. I'm, that's how I best describe myself. I'm an urban missionary, um, to what we call urban poor communities in the South side of Baltimore. Um, we're in a community called Brooklyn. If any of you guys heard um, on July 2nd, we woke up Sunday morning, maybe caught the news. There was a mass shooting um, in um, Baltimore. They believe it to be the largest mass shooting on record since they started tracking that kind of stuff. 30 young people um, were shot. Two of them were killed. That was five blocks from the church I pastor, literally like five blocks, you know, like from here to the street. It was, it's kind of wild. And um, everybody's like, what? And um, you pastor right there? Yes, I pastor right there. And um, it's kind of crazy. Matter of fact, I've taken, you'll never send Lachlan people with me again if I say that. Um, um, we, some Lachlan people have been at the very spot of that shooting, uh, with me on the streets doing ministry. And, um, and it's just been this wild journey and God has blown this thing up. My wife reminded me in December of last year that I'm now pastoring an unorthodox inner city ministry in a big warehouse and it's reaching thousands of people, which is what the, God gave me the vision of when I was 17 and 18 years old. Let me gentle remind those of you that when God gives you something, you hold on to it. If it's from God, it'll come to pass. Maybe not in your time or your season or your desires, but I'm telling you, God, I didn't even know it. I didn't even realize it. It was when my wife said, have you ever stopped to realize that God has brought your vision from all those years ago to, the full, to fullness? And I said, what? You know what? In the last six months, we've ministered to over 3,500 families. And in those 3,500 families, our data tells us that that's a little over 15,000 individuals. 87% of them live in the same zip code that we do ministry every day. I told you God called me to pastor a community in a neighborhood and I didn't know it, but I'm called Pastor Billy by thousands of people. They don't all come to my church on Sunday. But we're out there trying to deal light and hope and transformation to them. And they come to us when they're in need and we try to help them along the way. We'll go to the next slide. Um, we, we're driven by some core values of passion, excellence, dignity, and integrity. One, some of the things we say is we're not going to work with poor people poorly. 
We're going to bring as much excellence and dignity to it. Everybody deserves dignity. Even a heroin addict. Even a crack addict. Even an alcoholic. Even even the rich man. Um, We'll go on. Next slide. Next slide. Understanding the need to give you some perspective, 31% of our residents, about 28% of the families in South Baltimore live below the federal poverty level, which is about $26,000 a year. But the average cost of a two-bedroom um, row home, about 800 square foot, is about $1,000 to $1,300 a month. So $26,000, you see, it gets a little crazy, right? Um, there's a thing called neighborhoodscout.com. And a couple years ago, actually, I should update this slide. We were ranked four out of 100 um, as the, um, uh, they, they said, as it relates to the safest place or the least safest places in America. We were four out of 100. We're now one out of 100. First place, baby. First place, we are the least safe place in the world, in the United States. One out of 100, you got to be first in something. That's not the one I want. But um, uh, 69 or 70% of the children, so think about that. Seven out of every 10 children in our neighborhood are living um, in a single parent household. And the hardship index, it's this kind of tool they use, ranks our neighborhood as 76 out of 100. Just to give you some perspective, all of Baltimore City collectively is only like a 54. So we're a 76. We are one of the most violent neighborhoods in Baltimore City. There's an open air drug market. There's about six gangs that are functioning within a mile and a half of our church. There's an open air sex market. We have a ministry at City of Refuge that we focus on survivors. Just since January 1st, we have been serving 49 women who are selling sex. They've been sex trafficked, sexually exploited, or they're choosing to sell sex themselves on the street. Now, when I say they're selling sex, y'all, please catch in perspective. They're, They're doing it for like 20 or 30 bucks. They're just doing it to get by. Next slide, next slide. Um, so um, we'll go to the next slide, we'll go to the next slide. Um, so we focus on five impact areas, health and wellness, food insecurity, workforce development. To give you some perspective, we feed about four to 500 people uh, pantry through our pantry every week on campus. Um, uh, as a month spreads out, that's about almost 1,400 unique households in a month on campus. We do about another 1,000 households off campus at mobile pantries. Our, work, our diapers, our diapers, we serve 400 di- babies a month out of our diaper pantry. So all those diapers you collected, just so you know, it went to, it went to meet a basic need in the, in the life of a little baby. Workforce development, we do all kinds of job training. Last year, we did uh, 300 um, um, and one job. We trained 301 in job, uh, various workforce development programs. We did 69 job placements. Um, listen, teenagers out there and young people, are you ready? Um, here's, here's how you stay out of poverty. You graduate high school, you get a full-time job, and you don't have a baby before you do those first two things. Come on, somebody. <laughs> the youth pastors, the children's pastors, and the parents say, preach it, man, preach it. You know, like... Uh, Think about that. Graduate high school, get a full-time living wage job, don't have a baby. Brooklyn Institute says there's an 87% chance you will end up in the middle class uh, by your middle age if those three things happen. Because things get out of whack, right? They don't get properly aligned. So this year alone, we've already done, um, I think it's about 60 job placements 
and have already trained 300 in the years, not over. So um, supportive housing, we have 10 beds under roof. We do case management, home buyers club, uh, youth empowerment. We are, that number is actually inaccurate. We're now serving at about 90 unique youth on a weekly basis. Um, through summer school feeding programs, out of school time, summer school programming, enrichment, all kinds of stuff. Come on, you gonna help me? All right, now she, she growled at me, y'all. That was a. Um, and then anti human trafficking, I share with you there those details. We'll go to the next slide. I think we're almost finished there. But, um, oh, we'll go to the next slide. We'll go to the next slide. I think I hit most of that. So there we are on the south side of Baltimore. Um, if you see where it says Locust Point, you go just a little bit north of there. Most people are familiar with Baltimore, what they call the Inner Harbor. The Inner Harbor, it's just right up there. Um, but there we go. We'll go to the next slide there. Um, this is our big dream. This is our warehouse. Um, and what we hope that it looks like one day. We only have one floor there on the first part, but that big warehouse in the back part of the building is gonna be a job training center. We've had Napa Auto Parts is gonna be doing an auto job training center. We're talking to a place called Skyline Technologies about sponsoring our IT innovation hub. So we're not just talking about helping people get out of poverty and give them something to eat. We're talking about transformative ministry to walk with people on a journey to self-sufficiency. And so when you give to City Refuge, you're doing that. So. Scoop up some of our swag out there. Um, there's also one shirt out there that says most. This is a new ministry that we're trying to bring to the Delmarva, D.C. area, but it's men opposing sex trafficking. That's a $100 billion a year industry sex trafficking is. Men are just consumers of that, and American men are responsible for almost, um, 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 probably right around a third of that $100 billion. Of that $100 billion industry, it's believed to be, estimated to believe by the experts, 20 billion of that is child sex trafficking. Now I realize this type of stuff's like, ooh, ah, ooh, yuck. But I wanna, I wanna, I wanna speak to it because I think these are the things that matter to the king. And I believe that people all over the world, especially here in these United States of America, ought to speak to the things that matter to the king. And that is awful. And I say, let's chase hell with a water pistol full of holy water and push the enemy back. And that's when men of God, come on, men of God, men of God will rise up and say, I'm a man who opposes sex trafficking because nobody can speak to that to men better than men themselves. Now you're a resort town. I can only imagine there's some stuff happening in your backyard, right? Because when rich people travel, rich people looking. So hear me, like what if some Mo shirts started walking around Lachlan and Oakland and Deep Creek and, and Deer Park and Mountain Lake? And uh, these were all the neighborhoods I've got to see the last couple of days. So. Uh, Almost forgot Mountain Lake. That's where I actually uh, was staying. I was staying with the, with the Ackermans. All right, I'm, we'll go. Next slide, next slide. So just a couple of pictures of what we're dreaming about coming. Um, we're dreaming. If you know anybody has $15 million and they're independently wealthy, we're trying to raise that in the next couple of years. So look me up, $15 million if you know. Young ladies in the front row, you know. No, me neither. I don't either. Okay, next slide. I grew up in the hood. Um, <laughs> we'll go to the next slide. One next. Just some of the cool pictures. This is that workforce development space that's coming. ID Innovation. Culinary Arts is about to open up just here in just a little bit. Um, next, next. I didn't say next, did I? That's my fault. Um, next, next, next. Um, just uh, that was what our future housing is going to look like. Next, 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 next. Oh, um, yeah, that's it. Thank you. 
Um, so I got some cool information. Um, there's some like a brochure here. We have this cool little ministry or this thing called City Lights. These are folks that give to us like on a monthly basis. You may give through your church. Well, we would love to know who you are. If you wanted to give to City of Refuge, we'd love to include you in our City Lights program. It's just good to be here. Um, now, I was asked to speak and I'm actually a preacher too. Did you know that? So I want to talk to you about something that is from the word of God that interestingly enough, I think all the song selections lead right up to it. And, in, and what I've talked about so far leads right up to it. And, um, and I don't know how much time I got. So Cindy, do one of these, but you know, not one of these. Okay. Do one of these. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There we go. There we go. Okay. So are y'all familiar with Ezekiel chapter 37? It's a wonderful passage of scripture. It's referred to as Ezekiel in the Valley of the Dry Bones. Anybody? Like it's, I mean, commonly, it's actually one of the most preached texts in all the Bible. Let, let me read it with you. I think I got the words up there. Um, if you want to turn with me in your Bible or your phone or, or whatever it is, or you can just look at the screen or just don't go to sleep on me. I am known to throw things. Um, no, I won't do that. Um, Ezekiel chapter 37, verse one and four, you ready? It says, the hand of the Lord came upon me. This is Ezekiel talking. The hand of the Lord came upon me and he brought me out in the spirit. This is a spirit filled church, right? Amen. Amen. Brought me out in the spirit of the Lord. And he set me down in the middle of the valley and it was full of dry bones. And then he caused me to pass by them all around. And behold, there were very many in the open valley and indeed they were very dry. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live again? And so I answered, Ezekiel, he said, I answered, oh Lord God, you know. Verse four, and again, he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, oh dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, surely I will cause breath to enter you, into you, and you shall live. And I will put sinews, ligaments, joints, etc., on you and bring flesh upon you. And I will cover you with skin and I will put breath in you and you shall live. And then you shall know that I am the Lord. So I love this section of, of Ezekiel. I'm big fan of the prophetic writings. I, in particular, like Isaiah, Ezekiel, I think oftentimes they talk about great, um, the prophetic books talk about God's redemptive message. They are often a call back to uh, 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 repentance and, and to righteousness. And it's, this particular is very familiar. Matter of fact, they, they were, I don't know that that song directly ties back, but did you hear what they said? Like a bag of bones, you know, in the sermon, one of the songs this morning and this morning, it's not morning, it's Wednesday night. I'm old, you'll have to forgive me. See all that gray hair? That's why. But, uh, but it's very passage. And, and every time I, I read Ezekiel chapter 37, I really kind of get pretty excited. And I like to preach, um, I like to preach from this passage of scripture. As a matter of fact, at the end, um, I saved the best for last. Not, not my words, but my wife's gonna come and sing and play a song. And uh, so I saved the best for last. So I always, say, I always say, she makes me look good. So that's why we say the best for last, right? We're gonna sing a song and then we're gonna have ice cream. Can you bear with me? 
Now, if anybody leaves, you don't get ice cream. That's all I'm saying. You gotta stay. That's just, all right, I'll go. All right, uh, remember I said I got ADHDs? Some of y'all will get that in a minute, but, um, but this is just really wonderful prophetic word. So let's talk a little bit about what's happening. I, I'm a Bible nerd at heart. When I studied, um, when I felt called to ministry, I actually went to a place called Lee University. Whoop, whoop, whoop. And, um, and I studied Bible and theology. And um, at the heart, even though I love inner city ministry and I love urban missions and I love to have a good time and I love to eat, um, I actually, at, the, at, at like one of my most favorite things to do, and, and I don't mean for this word to offend you, but I love to nerd out on the Bible. Like I, I love the Bible. I love the history of the Bible, I love the history of Christianity. I have given my life as a student to it, but I also use it as a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. It is my guidebook. It is my direction. It is, it is God's word to me. You know, it's, it's prophetic to me, you know. And, and what's happening here in Ezekiel chapter 30 time, 37 is it, it's a time when Judah and Israel, um, uh, uh, it, as the offspring of Abraham, um, uh, had fallen um, to never rise again. All hope appeared to be gone. The 10, what they refer to as the Northern tribes, um, referred to as Israel often in the text, um, had been carried off into captivity by the Assyrians in around 720 something BC. And, and about 170 years after that, um, around 60, um, uh, uh, I guess it was 605 BC, the Babylonians um, who had conquered the Assyrians began to pillage Judah, which is the lower two tribes or the southern two tribes, and then carry her citizens into captivity. So all of the people of God were now taken into captivity. And this occurred over a period of about 20 years until about 586 when Jerusalem and the temple of God that we read about in um, the scripture um, uh, were destroyed. They were destroyed. And at this time is when God called and raised up Ezekiel to be a prophet um, or a prophetic, his prophetic ministry um, was to go um, as the people had been carried off into Babylonian captivity. I told you I could nerd out on the Bible. Do you see that right there? Do you see all that nerdy stuff right there? Some of you are like, what does that mean? Just bear with me. I'm coming back. I, I, I got a point to all this, okay? So we know that they were living in difficult times. They were in captive, captivity, Assyrians, Babylonians. They were being conquered by everyone around them. They were, they were being dragged off back to these nations and, and, and treated as um, like servants and slaves. And, and everything was all messed up. And, and God raised up Ezekiel to come and speak to the, the people of God in that season. Now, I, let, me bring it, let me bring it home for you and at least try to quickly. I, I, I'd love to nerd out with you for another hour, but ice cream, I don't want it to melt. So um, we, we know we're living in some really difficult times in America. We realize that things are bad and, and they seem to um, have been kind of like breaking bad for, for some time. Breaking bad, anybody? Watch, don't, watch, don't, don't raise your hand if you watch that show. Um, but as we see the moral, 
the, econ, uh, the economic, the social decline uh, of America, we may begin to wonder, is there any hope that this nation can rise again? It's kind of what was happening in Ezekiel's time. Is there any hope that that nation can rise again? Jude, uh, the northern tribes of Israel had been taken away. Judah's taken away. Is there any hope that that can change? You might be saying that about America today, right? Maybe right here in Garrett County, maybe, maybe right down the road in Baltimore, you're saying there's no hope for that place. Is, is there any hope that that place can change? But think about the situation that Judah was in. Um, the only comparison that would be um, probably uh, 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 normal to what was happening in Ezekiel's day would be like if some, right, if someone destroyed Washington, D.C., somebody said, oh, that wouldn't be so bad. No, I'm just kidding. Please, are you recording this? I didn't mean that. Um, you know. Um, they took off into captivity all of the teachers. Sorry, wife, you're gone. Um, they got you. Scientists, are you out there? Doctors, are you out there? Scholars, are you out there? Along with the best and the brightest, all these fine young people that were dancing up here. Did you see them? I wanted to dance with them, but I was afraid I was going to lose my pants. And I thought that would really be bad. First impressions to the Lachlan Church of God family. And I, I wanted to dance with them. I wanted, they were jumping and I would have had to go like this. Then when I was jumping, it would have been really bad. So... There's that, there's that squirrel thing, isn't it? Now, so imagine if it like got that kind of bad, right? That's what kind of bad it was in Judah and Israel's time when God raised up Ezekiel. And, though, and then all of a sudden here in Ezekiel chapter 37, God gives this prophetic vision. It was during this time in the history of Judah and the life of Ezekiel, God gave um, this powerful prophetic vision to this prophet Ezekiel. The events that we read about here in, in 37, um, verses one and following in our text are a vision. Okay, it's a vision. It, it didn't literally happen, it's a vision. And it's described as though it literally happened though. But Ezekiel is experiencing a prophetic vision, if you go back to verse one and two, that is intended to serve as a metaphor, a graphic metaphor, a, a powerful symbol of what God could and would do for Israel and the people of God. Further, this vision reminds all people of faith, even in Garrett County and even in Baltimore City and through all of the ages that despite how bad things may look, open air drug market with six active gangs, an open-air sex trade with people ODing on a common and a regular basis. Even despite all of the bad things that may look, God can always turn things around. And I want us to, for a few moments, look through the eyes of Ezekiel and go with him into the valley of dry bones. Can we do that? This vision, it begins in chapter, chapter 37, verse one. He said, the spirit of the Lord. Hmm. The spirit of the Lord set him down in the middle of the valley that was full of bones. And then in verse two, Ezekiel tells us that the Lord caused him to pass by, um, by them all around. And, 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 and that's like he's walking around the valley. He's walking around the valley, right? 
And everywhere he looks, he sees bones. And instead of, in, instead uh, of just seeing the bones, he actually describes it and he says, indeed, they are very dry bones. These bones weren't moist. <clears throat> they were long dead. For bones to be dry, that means they're long dead. They were disconnected. They were gone. And by all appearances, these bones would never, ever, ever live again. But then, just as he is beginning to evaluate the bones, observe the bones, the very dry bones, the Lord in this prophetic vision asks him this question. Son of man, that's God talking to Ezekiel. He asks a question. Can these bones live again? Now, the most obvious answer to that question is nope. <laughs> no. Because they were very, very dry bones. But when God asked the question, sometimes you got to be careful how you answer the question. Somebody got some personal experience. After all, we know that the God we serve specializes in things that are impossible. And so Ezekiel answers the question much smarter than I would because if he would have put me in that vision, I would have said, nope, they cannot live again. But he put Ezekiel in that situation who had a better, more intelligent answer. And he said, oh Lord, only you know. Can the, son of man, can these bones live again? Ezekiel's response is, oh Lord, only you know. Which is another way of saying, I don't know. Now, what does this valley of dry bones represent? He tells us at the end of the vision in Ezekiel chapter 37 that these bones represent Judah and Israel. And by all outward appearances, Judah and Israel were dead and gone. And they said of themselves, our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we ourselves are cut off. As a nation, they considered themselves to be dead and buried. And of course, we know something about God that gives us pause. Even when we're looking at the valley of the dry bones, even uh, when we know that God can make the dead to live again, we know that God specializes in things that are impossible. We know that even after it looks like there is no hope, there is still hope. We know that when it looks like there is no way, God is the one who can make a way. After everyone else had given up, God is just getting warmed up is how I like to think of it. If he can speak a universe into existence in Genesis chapter one and following out of nothing more than the power of his will and the power of his word, then he can reach into the valley of dry bones and he can raise up, if you're familiar with the prophetic vision, an army of the Lord. See... I guess what I'm trying to tell you is, is that there's that your neighbors, you might think they're lost and gone and undone. You might have sons and daughters that are running and gunning. You might have think there's brothers and sisters that have gone too far, that there is no hope, but I'm here to tell you, don't lose hope.
hope. Every day I get up and I drive into the city. I drive by trash on the streets. I drive by junkies who are caught in some kind of tranquilized high where they can't even move, where literally flesh is eating the wounds of their legs. And I think to myself, is there any hope? And I thank God Almighty that I'm not built on mine because I'd do what I said about Ezekiel. I'd say nope. But I have discovered in my almost 50 years of living that there is a God in heaven. There's a God in heaven who specializes in things that are impossible. He can reach into some very dry places, some very dark places, and he can bring it back to life. I met a single mother with her two kids living in an abandoned row home with three other adults. Her and her two girls were sleeping on an old nasty mattress on the floor. No power, no electricity, no water in this house. She was raising her two girls because it's all she had. Someone told her about our food bank and she started coming to get food. Her name was, well, I'll give you her nickname, Kiki. And Kiki uh, um, uh, started coming for food and because she didn't have no power, she'd take her kids to school and then she'd come and she'd offer to volunteer with us. And I had the opportunity to sit down with Kiki and talk to her a couple years ago. And man, it seemed, she seemed like she just didn't have any hope. The only thing good in her life was that she had found our food bank, she said, so that she could feed her kids. But she was living in this house. One of the adults that was in her house was her uncle. She had to fight off her uncle. I'll leave it at that. And I said, Kiki, I want you to know you can turn things around. God is able to help you turn things around. And um, she said, how do you think? I said, well, let's start by getting you a, you know, a job. You can work during the day. Her first job was at Family Dollar. Y'all got any of them up there? I feel like I drove by one. I told Sarah, I said, we could live up here. There's a Family Dollar, just like in Brooklyn. We're good. Um, and then she got an apartment, a little one bedroom apartment. And, um, one of my team members went and bought her girls a bunk bed and set up that bunk bed and bought them little, um, matching, um, no, they weren't even matching. They were two separate comforter sets, you know, like little sets. And I think one had, um, little princesses and the other one had unicorns cause they didn't want to match. They just wanted their own deal. And my team members just wanted to do it. Some of y'all asked about Keith already. Some of the, that have been to Baltimore, it was, it was Keith and his wife that did that, Deanna. And they put these little girls in their first bed and um, Kiki's on social media. And so she put on Facebook a little picture of the bunk bed. And she said, first time in my daughter's life they ever had their own bed to sleep in. Pow. I didn't even know my, my friends Keith and Deanna had done that. Um, so here she is, she's come from homelessness where she's fighting off folks to now living in a one bedroom apartment, working at the family dollar and her girls got the first bed they ever had. Then we were able to say, Hey Kiki, what do you think about uh, changing jobs? She loved childcare. That's, she had had some kind of experience in childcare. And, and so the United Way of Central Maryland has this place in our community that's a childcare center. And we were able to get her a job there, but it was contingent upon her going back and getting her GED. And so we helped her connect with and she started working there, which was great because now she works during the day, during school days, only 
when school's in session. So when school's not in session, guess what she gets to do? Be with her daughters. And she's getting paid full-time with benefits. She's never had a job full-time with benefits. She got a one-bedroom apartment. Her daughters got their first beds, y'all. They ever slept in in all of their life. They start thriving and doing good and, and making it. And then she comes to our GED class that we offer. It's one of the classes in our career pathways. And uh, she goes through the first 40-hour program. She does the pretest and she passes with flying colors. She's getting ready to take her GED, check that box as an as a adult single woman and say, you know what, I'm taking hold. Because we said, listen, listen, there are plenty of folks who just give up on Kiki. And they'd give up on her daughters if they did. And that's what I mean by a hope dealer. Like I bring hope to life. I always tell people I deal hope, not dope. It's almost ice cream time. Come on. Because we, we, we know that when it looks like there is no way, I'm just a believer that God can make a way. And after everyone else has given up, God is just getting warmed up. He can reach into Babylon and rescue a nation. He can reach into America and fire up a revival. He can reach into your life and he can raise up a dream that you have buried in the deep recesses of your heart. In, in the vision that God told Ezekiel to start prophesying or preaching, he said, he, he said prophesy uh, preach to the valley of the dry bones. And he said to tell the bones, surely I will cause breath to enter into you. That's what the word of God says. And you shall live and I will put sinews on you. I'll bring flesh upon you. I'll cover you with skin and put breath in you. And you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. Now remember, this is a prophetic Vision. This is a metaphor. In reality, this is a message historically for Judah and Israel, but God is telling his people that they will live again. They will be a nation again. They will be restored. They will be revived. They will know that the Lord, he is God. I can tell you that as a person and as a preacher, I've seen, I've been in some situations where it looked helpless just from the natural. It looked like it was over and done right? Some would declare that, the, that it was the end. It was over. It was dead and gone. It was very dry. There was no hope. God has been bringing some things together. He's been bringing some uh, uh, strategically um, bringing people and pulling together talents, but I'm believing that there is an army that is about to rise up and storm the gates of hell here in America again and pull souls like brands from the fire. Mm, Ezekiel chapter 37 verse 7 and 8 says this, so I prophesied. Ezekiel said, so I prophesied. The Lord and he prophesied. And as I prophesied, there was a noise and suddenly there was like a rattling and the bones came together. Y'all familiar with this story? And it said bone to bone. And, and indeed, as I looked, the sinews uh, and the flesh came upon them and the skin covered them. But the Bible says in verse eight, but there was no breath in them. That's what it says in verse eight. What were once very dry bones are now bodies. 
You're like the zombies, you know? But there was no breath. What had once looked hopeless now looks like it has a possibility. It looks like it has potential. It looks like it has promise. But notice the prophet says there was no breath in them. That simply means there was no life in them. You can't, you don't, you don't have life without breath. They, they looked like they were alive, but they were dead. They had come a long way, but they weren't there yet. A great miracle had occurred, but it wasn't over. There was another step in the process. Some people would have been content to just stop there. They would have gone around telling everyone of the great miracle of Kiki. Don't be content with less when God wants to do more in your life. The devil will always try to keep you from reaching your potential, from achieving your full measure of God's promise. You have come a long way from where you started, but you haven't arrived until you get to where God wants you to be. That's why the scripture says we got to keep pressing on towards the prize of the high calling that is in Christ Jesus. God told Ezekiel to prophesy to the breath. I love this part. (laughs) He said, prophesy to the breath. Now, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but I know enough about the, uh, the text and the commentaries that this is a Hebrew word that means ruach. I don't speak Hebrew, so that's the best I got, right? It's a word that means breath, it means wind, it means spirit. And God tells Ezekiel, prophesy to the breath and say to the breath, to the ruach. Sorry about your microphone, sorry about your microphone, sorry. (laughs) Thus says the Lord God, I'm almost finished, I'm all, come, come, come. We call that landing my ship in my church. Come help me land the ship. Um, I need a little landing music, right? He says, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. Ezekiel said, so I prophesied as he commanded. Come on, somebody. Sometimes we need to do what God commanded. We wonder why things aren't alive in our life. And I'm not sure we're doing what he's commanding us to do. I'll let that sit with you a minute. And so I prophesied as he commanded me, Ezekiel said in Ezekiel chapter 37. And breath came to them. And they lived. And they stood upon their feet an exceedingly great army. And at this point, the power of God's word and the power of Holy Spirit symbolized in the wind, in the breath, watch this, transformed, not just this one little set of bones, but this entire valley of dead and very dry bones. They had been revived and restored and now they were ready to reclaim 
the land and their promises. Kiki, on July 2nd, brought me a lady named Terry, whose son, age 19, was shot in that mass shooting on Brooklyn. His name was Theo. I first met Theo when he was 14. I'd known him for five years. He got shot three times, once in the leg, went through his shin. The other two bullets went through his... Little kids here, I don't know if I can say it, but the private parts. He was in critical condition. He almost bled out and died. He laid in shock trauma for more than a week and he is still recovering and has a long road to go. Not only is he dealing with the physical pain and the, he also has now the psychology of losing two bullets, boom, boom, went there, one through his leg. Kiki brings Terry, his mom, to me. Because Kiki said, it doesn't look like there's any hope. That's when we thought he was gonna bleed out and die. But you know, with God, all things are possible. Me and Kiki and Terry grabbed hands and we began to pray and we just said, you know what? We don't know what's gonna happen. He's in shock trauma. I later, I later went to the store and Theo, Theo normally wore like regular boxers and the doctor wanted him to wear these boxer briefs because it kind of held himself together a little better. And he didn't have any, he didn't have any money and so I was like, I can do that. And then I, you know, church people, when, you know, somebody's sad or something tragic happens, we eat. That's why we're about to have ice cream. No, though it was nothing tragic. We just, you know, whew. I just want you to know that Theo's doing good and he's looking up and he's believing God and he's praying and he's saying, God, I don't know how I'm gonna get through this, but I'm gonna get through this. And, and, and Terry's saying, Pastor Billy, she ain't been to church in years. She used to bring him, you know, when he was, when he was 12, 13, 14, 14, 15, 16. But, you know, he get older, he stopped coming to church because that's some teenagers do that. Terry stopped coming. Now all of a sudden, here they are and we're all praying together. And, and I just see them on this journey, right? This transformative work because I believe, right? When, when, when you prophesy to the breath, when Holy Spirit begins to get involved, that's where everything can change. Circumstances, situations, right? It'll bring you out of homelessness. It'll bring you out of addiction. It'll bring you out of strongholds. It'll come alive in you, you know? It'll come alive in you. We call out to dry bones, come alive, come alive. Y'all ever heard that song? I want, I want Sarah to sing that. Right, listen, listen, can these bones live again? And by extension, we might ask, can this marriage live can this business thrive again? Can this family function again? Can this community come back? Can this church grow again? Can, can whatever is happening in your life, can God make a way? And his answer, I believe, is an absolute emphatic yes. Out of the ashes, 
hope arises, right? Stand with me all over this place. I gotta finish. You wanna eat ice cream? We'll sing a song right here. Come alive, come alive, come alive. Y'all know this song? I'm gonna ask her to sing that whenever she gets it together. But in the meantime, if you're here tonight, they told me I could do this. Don't leave, we're gonna have ice cream, right? You can buy some t-shirt. You can learn more about City Refuge. You can say, dude, you're crazy. Whatever you gotta do to me, okay? Listen, if you feel like you're in a dry place, like Holy Spirit's not moving. You know, sometimes you're in church, but it don't, you don't feel. Like, you know, like I believe in feeling. Like I, 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 wanna, I wanna know tangibly. I, I wanna see the breath of God come alive. And I don't want just people to have a form of godliness or holiness. I don't want them to just be like church zombies. Time to go to church. No, I believe God sent me by to prophesy to the breath to prophesy the Holy Spirit to come fresh in your life. Because God don't want you to just walk around like a church zombie. He wants you to walk around alive, full of the power of God and the might and Holy Spirit in your life. Come alive, come alive, come alive. We call out the dry bones, come alive. And if you're here today and you got dry bones or you got a dry place, or there's a dry uh, um, situation in your life. Maybe it's a, a son or a daughter or parents. Maybe it's a, a, a mother or father kids or a sibling or a friend or a neighbor. And there's a dry place somewhere and you wanna come and receive fresh breath from Holy Spirit. I'll just say the altars are open. Well, sing, I want you to sing. I'll stop preaching when you sing. I need her to sing so I'll stop preaching. And she's, I told you she's the happy ending. Close your eyes and I sense and that prophetically right now the wind is blowing again. If you need fresh breath, if you need Holy Spirit to move, if you if you want it to be more than just a going through the motions, but you want fresh fire and wind. You're welcome to come. We know there is more to come that we may not yet see. So with the faith you've given us, we step into the valley. God, we prophesy to the dry bones to come alive. Bring us back our wayward side.